It's time for our Friday morning devotion, in which case we are looking at uh, we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I have to say um, the passage we're looking at today is one of the weirder passages in the entire New Testament. Uh, that's definitely the case. It is a weird passage, and we'll just say that right up front. There's plenty of weird passages in the Bible. It's not the first or the last time that you'll come across such a thing. But this one is is really up there. It's just um, it's one that scholars have puzzled over for quite some time. And the fact is, it's one of these passages that you could probably um, go to five different commentaries um, on this passage, and you will find five different understandings of it, five different ways of interpreting it and applying it. It doesn't. It's not one of these things that's often quoted because, frankly, we don't always understand it. But nevertheless. We are going through 1 Corinthians, and this is where we're at, and so we're going to try and tackle it the best we can today. So if you remember last time, for context purposes, Paul was talking about his motivation for why he does what he does, and he basically says there's two overarching things that are on his mind. One, he wants to, do, wants to live life in such a way that he does all things to the glory of God, and two, he wants to uh, make sure that he does as much as he can to not put a stumbling block in the way of people hearing the gospel. Okay, so it's about serving. It's about uh, uh, serving one another. It's about loving one another enough to be willing to sacrifice certain preferences, that sort of thing. Well, now he's going to enter into a section in which he's going to deal with um, some people that, frankly, um, are not taking that attitude, and it has to do with, um, well, with some wives in the congregation that are apparently doing something that would have been seen as quite rebellious at that time in that culture. So let me dig in here. Paul begins, verse 2 of chapter 11, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So overall, he says to the church, You've done a pretty good job of doing what I taught you to do when I was with you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so Paul is dealing with some order issues. He is trying to get them to see that there is a certain order that God has set in place in creation, and as a matter of fact, even in the eternal realm. Notice that he says the head of Christ is God. That would be God the Father. Now, does that mean that God the Father is higher or more important than God the Son? Not at all. They are equal. In the same way, husband and wife are equal. But, especially at that time, there was clearly an order in the home. There was clearly a sense that the husband was seen as the head of the home in that culture and that the wife was seen as his complement, his helpmate, so to speak, to use the language of Genesis. And so Paul wants them to understand that that is sort of uh, the order that has been set. Just as God the Father is the head of Christ, even though they're both equal, there's an order there. So to the husband and wife, even though they're both equal, is the there's an order there as well. So... That's important for what he's going to go on to say now. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies 
with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, let's just stop there. What on earth is this talking about? Well, number one, this is very much cultural. This is very much uh, allocated to first century life. Here's a couple things that we know. We know that within Jewish worship at that time, a man was not to cover his head, and a woman, um, a woman was to cover her head. That was the way it was within worship. Now, you have a Corinthian church starting, just getting going, where you have uh, Jews and Gentiles both mixing together. What happens if the wife now suddenly starts praying with her head uncovered? Well, it does two things. Number one, it could needlessly offend the Jewish people within their context at the church. But number two, more significantly, we have some evidence to suggest that when a wife um, covered her head, it was sort of the equivalent of basically a wife wearing a wedding ring today. Now, that is that tells us a lot here. What that means is that Paul wants wives to cover their head in this context, in this culture, because it is them saying, I am connected to my husband. I am taken. I am a woman that is not available. I'm not on the market. Now, apparently there were some women that were in uh, pagan worship uncovering their head, and it was a means by which they were saying to the world, I'm available. So, so that's the background of this. That's the context of this, that women at that time uncovering their head would be like t a woman walking in and taking off her wedding ring when, before she goes into an event. That's the symbolism here of what Paul is talking about. Now, of course, we know today that a man can indeed pray with his head covered, and that's not a problem. That, in fact, a woman can have short hair or pray without her head covered, and that's not a problem. But in this context, it was like saying, I am not really married, I'm available. And that's why this is a problem. So that's what Paul is addressing here. He doesn't want them to give off this sense of chaos and disorder in the service. He doesn't want the church service to basically become a singles gathering so that people are flaunting their availability. Verse 6, For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Again, this is all very cultural. This is something that goes back to the first century. If a wife was to shave her head, it was uh, like a wife, it, it was frankly like a woman saying that she was engaging in pagan worship practices. It was like a wife saying that she was rebelling against her husband, that she was now saying that she was no longer connected to him, that she was available and on the market. That's basically the symbolism at that time. Of course, today, a woman can have any length of hair and it's not a problem. This isn't something, this command here in this passage is very specific to that time. So, verse 7, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, the word authority there is not, it's not a domineering thing. Remember, 
it's, it, it's likened to the relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. It's, they're equal. They're just different. That's all. Equal, but different. And, and then he says this strange thing. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What does that mean? Well, most scholars think that when he says because of the angels, he means because there are angels in your midst when you are gathering. Don't do things that are purposely rebellious or risque because you're forgetting what you're there to do. You're there to worship. That's the idea behind what Paul is saying here. Now, Paul will go on and say something that frankly would re is pretty revolutionary at the time. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal at all to us, but in the first century, to suggest in any way that women were equal to men would have been very, very unique in all contexts, whether in the Jewish world or the Greek, Greco-Roman world. It just wasn't the case back then that women were seen as equal to men. And yet, Paul is laying the foundation here to suggest that very thing, that men and women are dependent upon each other, that they need each other. And that's no more seen than in the marital relationship of husband and wife, which this passage is all about. So he continues, verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, again, this is very much cultural. The point here is not for all time, men need to have short hair, women need to have long hair. No, no, no. If you get that, you're missing the point. The point here in this culture, a woman was showing her femininity, was showing herself to be a female, partly by growing her hair out, and a male was shown to be a male partly by having short hair. That's the way it was back then. Paul is saying, don't do things purposely to sort of um, suggest that none of that matters, to suggest that your relationship with your spouse doesn't matter. Don't do things to suggest to the world that you're available when you're not. That's really the idea of what he's talking about in this whole passage. Now, he, can, he ends the passage with these words. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. What do we make of all this? Well, I, I think in the big picture, if we're going to apply a passage like this that is very specifically written to the Corinthian church at that time, which we do have passages like that all throughout the Bible that we have to interpret, Nonetheless, we can still apply it and say this. Uh, we do not want to give off the impression uh, at any time that we are fighting each other, that we're, that we're uh, going against each other as husband and wife, especially as we're gathered for worship. That's really what Paul is addressing here. We don't want to give off the impression that we're not connected to one another, that we're not united. Uh, we don't want to um, do things to break up unity, but we want to strive for unity. 
And that's really what Paul is getting at here. This is just one more expression of how they can indeed remain united. Now, the fact is, every marriage has uh, struggles. Every marriage has uh, difficulties that one will face. And so the question that I want to close with is what one does when that happens. Because whether it be arguments about, at this point, hair length, or whether it be, um, you know, arguments about how to raise kids, or whatever the case may be, what, what, we, what ought we do when we find ourselves lacking a sense of unity? Well, instead of exalting that lack of unity to the world, like apparently some people were doing in the Corinthian context, what we ought to do is we ought to come together to pray in repentance and ask the Lord for forgiveness and guidance moving forward. And the promise of his word is that he will indeed grant us forgiveness and guide us moving forward. Because again, the goal of this relationship, of this marital relationship, is meant to reflect the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his church. Jesus Christ, the the bridegroom, sacrifices his very self to have his wife, the church. And so too, the husband ought to sacrifice what what he may want in the moment for his wife so that his wife would feel comfortable uh, uh, following him and sticking by him. So let us, let us uh, read this passage as a way of reminding ourselves that all of us are prone to self-exaltation one way or another. All of us are prone to some form of rebellion from time to time. And instead of giving into that, let us be people of prayer that look to repent and to live in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, that's my best attempt at explaining a really weird, very confusing passage to you. Um, We'll we'll get back to something that's a little bit that's a lot more understandable next week, next Friday. Meanwhile, join us.